0: slash James, netsuite.com slash James. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show... You were the Cookie Monster, Mm -hmm. you were Grover, Mm -hmm. you were Miss Piggy, Mm -hmm. you were a bunch of characters on The Muppets, Mm -hmm. and then of course you were Yoda on Star Wars, Mm -hmm. and each character had so many relatable characteristics for me as a child watching this, the Burt and Ernie relationship or the Cookie Monster. These characters, they could be beyond human, they could be really kind of these platonic ideals of certain personality traits. And I think that's what happened in many cases. There's also,
1: there's a certain aspect of the society that is not accepting of people that aren't considered, in quotation marks, normal. And none of the Muppets are normal. None of them are straight down the middle. They all have their own flaws, their own insecurities, their own weirdnesses. And I think people respond to that.
0: I asked you before the podcast if it was okay if I had asked you to do A voice. And
1: I said it was fine to ask me.
0: So I'll ask you, can you do a voice? No. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Oz, I grew up on you. Like I grew up on listening to your voice. My parents from the age of two or three on would put me in front of Sesame Street, or they would put me in front of the Muppets. And then of course Star Wars, I was an obsessed fanatic. Maybe if people don't know who Frank Oz is, I'll just give a little intro, and you've been on so many different things, I can't give all your credits. Um, uh, But you were... Er, I had no idea about this. You were Ernie on Sesame Street. Nope, I was Bert. Oh, you were Bert. Jim was Ernie. Yeah, J- Jim Henson was Ernie. Yeah. Uh, you were the Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. You were Grover. Mm-hmm. Uh, then on the Muppets, you were Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. You were a bunch of characters on the Muppets, mm-hmm. and then of course you were Yoda on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, you know, and then you know, we're here. I just want to make sure I get the, the title right. I, I you have it. just put out an amazing documentary. Muppet guys talking secrets behind the show, the whole world watched, and yeah. I'll, uh, we'll talk about why it was so amazing, the whole creative process behind the Muppets and everything you did. But one thing first, I asked you before the podcast if it was okay if I had asked you to do a voice.
1: And I said it was fine to ask
0: me. So I'll ask you, can you do a voice? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said
1: before, the, the reason is, you know, it's just too show off it's just too easy. And the characters that I have are very pure. And if they did, if if I did a voice for them, they wouldn't they wouldn't be pure anymore. They'd be just a, a party favor, just a trick, just a show off. And they they mean too much to me just to throw them off like that.
0: Well, it's interesting because in the movie, uh, you know, in the documentary about those guys talking, people always say, uh, you know, some you were you were saying or someone was saying in the in the movie uh, that people always ask you uh, what voices did you do, but but that wasn't it. People didn't recognize. The, the pure performance aspects of these yeah. characters
1: yeah for all of us uh, people it's the strangest thing as a Muppet guys talking uh, Muppet guys talking you said we talked about that. people for some reason think we only do the voices and the voices are only 5% of it. you know we do the entire character we have it's it, and that's the hardest part the physical part picking up your cues, making sure you're not blocking somebody, making sure you're not blocking the light, making sure you pick, pick up the prop right, making sure you do the dialogue properly. That's all the stuff we do. And the voices are just there, they just are. And with Yoda, it takes four people to do Yoda, you know. and the voice I do a year later.
0: What, what do you mean it takes four people to do Yoda?
1: I mean, it takes four people. It takes me and three other people to uh, perform him, become, make him come alive.
0: Uh, I don't understand, who, who
1: are the other three? Uh, Each one has their own thing they're doing. One is doing the eyes, one is doing the eyelids, one is doing the ears, one is doing uh, uh, the uh, hand, one is, and I'm doing the rest of it. Uh, It's so interesting that people are surprised about that. If I asked you before I told you, I'm just curious, if I asked you before I told you about how Yoda was done, what would you have said? How would you have thought your know, you, was working? You worked? know
0: what? I'm gonna give you my honest answer, and it's incredibly stupid. It's the most stupid response you've ever heard to this. I until I started researching and, and I, of course, I watched the documentary. Um, and then once I saw the documentary, what I didn't mention in the intro is you've been on a ton of movies. I recognize you from the movies you've been on, like trading places, you know, and so on. Uh there's a both there's a whole bunch of movies you've been involved in. Um but Can I tell you the stupidest answer? You promise you won't think I'm an idiot? Well, Well, you (laughs) can think I'm an idiot. I don't care. Who should I not tell? (laughs) Your fiancé. I better not tell your (laughs) fiancé. Well, she already knows I'm an idiot. (laughs) Um, uh, I thought thought the Frank Oz who played Yoda was about three or four feet tall (laughs) and was put inside a Yoda costume, and that's who you were. Isn't that something? People think that. People think a dozen other things. It's something. It really is.
1: And what it is, I mean, it's a compliment because you don't think it's being worked by four people. It right, looks you like, think it that Yoda, like Yoda is one this thing. real being. Yeah, and Miss and and exactly Piggy right. is this real being. Well, you know, if, I, if somebody tells me, hey, I'm, you're doing a great job with uh, working Yoda or Piggy, then I've lost. I've lost. What I need, to, what I have to do is not, not have people see it's a great job, but having what I do transcendent. So they don't even talk about the job. They just believe in the character.
0: Yeah, and I think that is so true. Well, and I think what this podcast is going to be is all about the process of creativity that you guys were a machine. You know, Jim Henson. Not really a machine.
1: We're, we're, machines go smoothly with oil. We uh,
0: we break down a lot. <laughs> well, well, that's interesting too. I, I I think, again, the process of creativity, I really want to explore here because, I mean, the Muppets were everywhere. And then, of course, the idea of Muppetry, if you will, you know even infiltrated. You know something as iconic as as Star Wars. As I was growing up, went from Sesame Street yeah, to Star Wars. Yeah. So, so yeah. Well, that you know, I'm
1: glad you're talking about that because, as you know, when you saw it, Muppet Guys talking, is uh, the docu is um, documentary uh, is talking about how we create the characters. You know, it is it is giving how we how Gonzo was created by Dave Goles, how I did Piggy, and how somebody else did another character. So. Uh, that's kind of the joy of doing that. I mean, besides, besides you know, the, the reason we did this documentary really is to show the some of the people in there nobody knows, but they're known around the world, but nobody knows them. The characters are known around the world. That's one thing I want to give them their due. And the other thing is that my wife, Victoria, who's also the producer, she saw us clowning around and having fun and she, while we were working, and she realized she'd never seen a work atmosphere like that before, where people, uh, can uh, have fun and love each other and try and screw each other over and uh, and and work like hell and, uh, and no politics. She's never seen that. So she wanted that to be seen in Muppet Guys talking.
0: And it really is. And you guys are just laughing and having fun talking about all these prior experiences and how you develop these characters. And I, for one, I didn't realize how much, I guess you could call it uh, improv, was involved in The Muppets. Like you described, as you were playing Miss Piggy, one time doing a karate chop on, I guess, Kermit, played by, you know, who was, you know, done by Jim Henson, and I didn't know that was something that was just improv, and that helps create Miss Piggy's entire personality for years to come. That was in rehearsal, but all improv also, in, uh, and we're all improv on set. I mean, I haven't performed
1: for about eight or nine years now, because I've been directing movies, but uh, when I had performing, even when I'm directing movies, you know, I'll, I'll 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 get the take, but I'll 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 ask the, the actors, whether it's Kevin Kline or if it's Edward Norton or any whoever I direct with. I ask him to to just if if you're not liking the lines, just go ahead and do something else because it, 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 it what is written on the page does not necessarily live on the floor. You know, yeah. So it it works in my movies as a director, and it certainly worked I, I, in the Muppets uh, because the idea is to bring them alive, not just to, not just to say lines.
0: You know, and uh, uh, you know, there's so many things, so many directions I want to go with this, and the, and where I want to end up is how the process of creativity that you guys worked with that that your that your wife so clearly saw. I want to see how that could be applied to other industries, other areas of life, creativity in general. I'm so glad you're
1: getting into this because that's what she actually, She, uh, I would love her to be here now. She's a, she's a, doing a seminar for about nine people who flew from Australia and England and everything. She teaches um, a, a, a lot of stuff. But uh, she's the one who really saw the value because she had worked with companies and she saw the value and she she asked me to do this and I said no. I don't want to do this and for a year she bugged me <laughs> and finally i said yes and i'm so grateful to her that she thought of this because we have a history here that no matter what happens to us this the spirit of how we work with jim is alive always so i'm i'm grateful to her for that
0: well okay so let's start with that you you mentioned the spirit of how you work with jim i feel you know for wrong or correctly or incorrectly creativity, productivity, efficiency, and just pure joy and happiness at work or in any organization always comes from the top down. What was special about Jim Henson? Obviously he was incredibly special.
1: Yeah. um...
0: Special about him, not even as a creative, but as a leader.
1: You know I'm I'm in an odd place because I want so much to answer you fully but if I do then the people won't need to see documentary <laughs> No that's not <laughs> true So I want so I want I want I want to answer those aspects very truthfully but not necessarily everything that's in the documentary because I really want them to go to com, and this is an outright plug and it's not by the way it's not about the money I don't care about the money if I lose all the money I don't care it's about people seeing how people can be working together inclusively with uh, all different kinds of people, and people still get along and work for one main goal, which is the quality of the project. So, you know, th- that is really what we wanted to show it, it, in this documentary. So, in any case, uh, I'll go answer your question. Um, well, Jim was, uh, you know, how do I describe Jim? All I know is I was with him with him for 35 years, traveling everywhere, and at that time, you knew how brilliant he was, but... I didn't know really what a singular human being he was because I was with him all the time.
0: I, didn't know how, I, I don't know how brilliant he was. I mean, I people say it, but what? tell me an example of brilliance. Everything he did was out of excitement. It wasn't,
1: hey, if we do this, we can make money. Hey, if we do this, we should uh, aim toward this audience. Never thought of any of that stuff. He just did what he felt was exciting, okay? Not many bosses do that. <laughs> And uh, not many bosses treat you like a partner and not a boss. And not many bosses are so collaborative. He, he was the one who made the final decision, but he valued everybody's contribution, everybody. Not this, that he would necessarily do it because he may not agree with it, but he absolutely listened to everybody and wasn't lip service. Um, he also was uh, very soft-spoken, uh, never raised his voice, never told us what to do, never told us how to do something. Uh, he just
0: led by example. And, and it also seems like he was very playful. So whenever, and I'm just guessing, but I imagine at moments of downtime or when you weren't in the middle of creating a scene, I imagine he, he had, his mind was always at work thinking, how can we be playful and, and be creative? Well, and- not only that, I think his mind was working on other projects that he was
1: excited about doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he would, uh, he would have... Uh, I mean, you know, he was going from movie to television show to to script development to everything, and he would fly from LA to London to New York because that's where the offices all were at the end. And um, he, he he was just excited about everything, he, and thank God he had a lot of people who he valued who could do it with him, you know. But he was uh, he worked in a very focused way, like you're talking about. Yeah, he got excited when we we're actually doing something and playful, but. There was also other stuff going on inside him for about larger things he was excited about, you know? He's very layered.
0: Uh, now, did you ever, like obviously he built a big business too. Did you ever kind of see him in business mode? Oh, sure.
1: He was very smart in business mode, very smart.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something in the
1: documentary that uh, uh, Dave Golds, uh says that he, his wife, uh, Debbie, used to be the financial officer of uh, Muppets years ago. And he said that uh, his Debbie told him that Jim would see a spreadsheet and Jim would zero in right on the one thing that was important, mm-hmm. you know. And she'd worked with a lot of execs and she'd never seen anybody do that. So he had, he had so many talents.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let's reel back to the very beginning. Your parents were uh, puppeteers. It was their hobby.
1: In, uh, in, in Antwerp, they actually did some shows, the rest where I grew up. But we came to the United States, and they never did any shows. They, it was really more of a social uh, group for them. Yeah, And then I, and I started Puppets when I was about 10 years old. And uh, when I was 18, I decided I stopped. I want to be a journalist. You know? And so Jim asked me to come out to New York at that time, and I just haven't left.
0: Why, why did he ask you? How did he know you? He
1: saw me doing a show when I was 17 years old. And then when he moved from Washington DC to New York City, uh, he needed a performer because he had uh, two other people working for him, Jerry Jewell and Don Saline, and he needed a fourth performer. And he remembered me and asked me to come out at 19 years old uh, to work part-time for six months. Uh, And my parents said uh, they were very courageous. I mean, I have have kids and I wouldn't let my 19-year-old go alone to New York. Uh, but uh, of course, they, I would have no say in it. But I went, uh, and I did my best to go to CCNY. Uh, I lived in the village, I took the subway up to CCNY all the time to continue studies, and I just couldn't do it because I was having too much fun and learning too much about the business with the gym because we were doing many many commercials, and it was a great training ground for me.
0: Is that how uh, it all got started? Was with commercials?
1: Well, actually, it didn't. It started with. Um, Jim and Jane Henson doing a show in um, Washington, D.C. called Salmon Friends. And Salmon Friends, I think, was five minutes a night. And it was there. 1956? Yeah, 56. 56 and, and actually, it would never happen today, but it was it was put on five minutes before the 11 o'clock news to bring people to see the newscast. Mm. So it was always intended as an adult show at 11 uh, or 10.55 p.m. I think it was. Uh, and so uh, they did that and got an ME worked for about eight years there, and then they moved to New York City. Mm. And during that time, while in Washington, D.C., yeah, he made a lot of commercials and then continued when he came to New York City because that was all before Sesame Street.
0: And when did, uh, when did Sesame Street start for you guys? I think around 1969, mm. I think so. And uh, I mean, Sesame Street, of course, is just a phenomenon. Like that, I mean, people always, I remember one time about five years ago, I was in a dinner and I don't know, some president was threatening to, or somebody was threatening to cut off funding for PBS. And there was a woman from PBS at this dinner and she was like, PBS is profitable. We don't need funding. We've got Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the, the and, and basically Jim Henson made Sesame Street in, in the sense that, all those are all characters that you guys did. Yeah, John
1: Stone, uh, who's passed, he was really
0: the father of Sesame Street. He
1: asked Jim to join. He was the really key person. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I think without the Muppets, it would not have been as strong. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and so uh, and again, each each character had so many relatable characteristics. You know, for me as a child watching this, the Bert and Ernie relationship, or the Cookie Monster, or Whatever. What's interesting is we didn't have
1: characters with relationships before that. We didn't have known characters before that. We did hundreds of commercials and we did every, you know, variety show and talk show you could name. So we were there for three minutes at a time or four minutes at a time with special special acts from the uh, you know, from Jimmy Dean show to Ed Sullivan show to Hollywood Palace to Perry como all these names that nobody knows now. And um, and then we did Sesame Street, that's the first time we actually were doing full-fledged characters. And it it took a long time, it took me about a year to get Bert, but it took so, it took a long time to really do that because we'd never done that before.
0: And is that because you suddenly had to get used to uh, doing a consistent personality with one of these characters? Yeah, I
1: think the, the writing was, uh, it's always the writing, and the writing called for uh, bits with characters. And uh, so they kept on repeating those bits and repeating the characters, and the ones that uh, worked stayed. You know, like so, Bert and Ernie, for instance.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, oh, many of the characters: the, the Count. Oh, the stayed. Count,
1: and there's Perry Don, and there's there's uh, you know, um, so many I can't even think. Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus. Big Bert was Jim. Who was in Big Bert? Uh, Carol Spitty. Okay. Yeah, and Oscar, he did. Huh. Yeah. And-
0: and, uh, but Jim Henson would often play in, not only do his own characters like Kermit the Frog, but he would wear the oh, yeah. costumes on the bigger characters. He wouldn't, no, uh he only, yeah, he, he this is where, where you got this from, this is great, this is Muppet
1: talking in the yeah. documentary. That's one thing people don't know, Jim was in a particular, co- I'm not going to say which costume, because it's a real surprise. Uh, Jim was in a full costume. Uh, on the Muppet Show and uh, nobody ever knew it until I I said it. And uh, it's a real surprise. After that, we convinced him that he was Jim Henson. He shouldn't be in those costumes. (laughs) He didn't care, of course.
0: Why? Why would you say he shouldn't be in a
1: costume? Because he was, you know, he was, it's funny. The more, unfortunately, in my opinion, the more one does, the less people think of you. I mean, if you're a scientist, then that's you're brilliant. But if you're a scientist and you're a tap dancer, I don't. It, all of a sudden, it goes downhill.
0: What it, about the concept of a Renaissance man, though? That's a good point, but I don't. I
1: don't sense that appreciation here.
0: You know, uh,
1: that's what I feel anyway.
0: So I mean, Jim Henson was a storyteller, right? He was a director, and he. By the way, he didn't
1: care. This is my opinion. Uh-huh. You know, but my opinion is that. Unfortunately, I have a show downtown that I directed called In and of Itself, uh, which you got to see, okay? You haven't heard of it? I haven't heard oh, of it. Oh, you got to see it. Uh, it's off-Broadway in Union Square. Oh, that's great. And it's about identity. It'll totally blow your mind.
0: I will definitely see it. How, it it's still running? It's, it's down it, there? It's been running for a year. We just had our 400th
1: performance uh, last night and celebrated. And is it puppets? Nope. Real people? Yep. Not one person and i can't even describe it to you it's okay. not that i, I won't i'm not able to
0: okay i'm gonna definitely it. see it i'll see you within this next week yeah oh, when does you.
1: it play what days it's uh till august okay it plays and uh you know i you know the director so i get your tickets okay excellent <laughs> but it's it, it's very unusual and, um, and 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 it's it's extraordinary that it's full full house every night after a year so, so... Anyway, I wasn't meaning to plug that, but... That's but okay, wh- whatever you want. <laughs> but I think I, I think I... Did I start that to talk about how various people can do different things?
0: Um Maybe I, I'm, I lost the, the... Yeah, yeah, no, of, you, you said, sorry. you said, you said if Jim Henson were to do too many things, somehow that sullies the reputation a little. Well, let me ask you something. If he's, if you have a...
1: I just gave you an example.
0: If you have a brilliant scientist,
1: Jonas Salk, who helped... uh is a sock? Yeah, polio. Yeah, polio, and he was also a tap dancer, and he also was a ventriloquist. Now, would you think the same of him?
0: I might think more, because look at Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman was a physicist he, he was and a juggler. He was brilliant,
1: and he was a, he was, a, he, was a, he was somebody who loved playing. Yeah, and that's where like Einstein loved playing, and Jim loved playing. That's where the genius comes from, as
0: playing. Yeah, because when you combine the artistry of two different fields, that's where there's this I, l- a I huge vein you, of creativity. In, so
1: maybe in your, in your experience, you've seen it, as a, uh, you react to it as a renaissance uh, person. I see it and I see a woman or a man who I can't label, so I'm confused. It's and really I, interesting. And I, and, and wait a second, I, you can't be this and that and that. And it lowers one's, uh, in my opinion, it lowers one's view of what one is mainly known for, in my opinion. That's interesting because... That's what I've experienced.
0: I, I, I could see that uh, because I think I think people want to put everybody... And for better or for worse, this is not a criticism of, of people, but I think people want to put people in their box that they're known for. And when people shift from that... There's almost an anger that develops from their audience. Well, it
1: makes, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable if we don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And if you're more than one thing, it makes us feel very uncomfortable.
0: But look at you. You, you were an actor. okay? you've been not in really like, an actor. But, you but were, you've been in like a dozen movies. Yeah, but that's not
1: called acting. That's, <laughs> that, that's, I was just in there a you're day. You are a character actor. No, I was in there a day because John Lannis asked me, and, and I, I've always felt it was important for a director to get in front of the camera to know how frightening it is for, a, for an actor. It's very important.
0: Okay, so but you're a director.
1: Yeah, I've directed about a dozen feature films. Yeah, and actually now I can say that I've, I've directed thirteen films <laughs> because of this documentary. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, and you're and you're Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah, I know it's odd, but it's
1: it, it, some people have a problem with seeing me and all those things, you know.
0: And I, I'll be whoever I am, but that's what I've experienced. For me, it's just. It's again. I'll say it. And I won't say it again. But it's just phenomenal to be sitting in front of. Uh, I'll. I'll always get them confused with Bert, um, Miss Piggy, and Yoda all at the same time. I grew up on you. I know. So. I know. It's it's really something. that, the
1: you know. Um, I I don't like social media. Never liked it. I hated Facebook. It took me three months to get off. They get your claws in you. Can't get out. Yeah. But this time for the documentary, uh, I, I was urged uh, to go on Twitter and Facebook. I said, okay, I'll go on Facebook. I haven't even checked it. Uh, but I went on Twitter and um, I'm, a, I'm a personal guy. I don't do many interviews except for right now because of the documentary. I'll go back, I'll go back in my cave again very soon. Uh, but because of the documentary, and I believe in it so much, and I want people to see it, I'm on Twitter and, and I really, enjoy it i mean i've been asked to write books a book and i i won't do it but i can say what i want on twitter and the extraordinary thing getting back to what you said was i never realized how much people were touched by the characters because what i see from twitter is amazing uh, how, how how much they mean to the to those people
0: we're, you know we're, we're we're and i can't speak for everyone i'm 50 years old so at these very kind of um i don't know what you call them moments where my life and childhood were being transformed these characters became very real to me they were my friends and because they were not you know humans in the standard sense they're ones that it's like this sort of private relationship almost and safer too i you know we t- we took um uh, guys
1: talking to uh, south by southwest uh, film festival and uh this happens it's extraordinary i mean I, as we af- After we left, we had a really nice uh, uh, Q&A afterwards uh, uh, with Robert Rodriguez, who's a friend of mine. He was wonderful to ask questions. And we left, and there's a woman who came up to me, and this happens to other performers also in in Muppets, just crying and putting out a a picture to autograph, but she couldn't even talk. Mm. And then we walk outside, and this other lady comes to me and says, and crying and saying, "Uh, Fozzie's my hero because, Uh, he never gives up, and uh, I'm dyslexic, and I didn't give up. I'm, I was valedictorian. and
0: I mean, it's extraordinary. That's these things about these characters is that they could be beyond human. And they could be really kind of these platonic ideals of certain personality traits, and I think that's what happened in many cases. Well, there's also,
1: you know, in, in this country, certainly now, but always uh, there's a certain aspect of the society that is not accepting of people that aren't considered, in quotation marks, normal. And none of the Muppets are normal, none of them uh, are straight down the middle, they all right. have their own flaws, their own insecurities, th- their own weirdnesses, and I think people respond to that, that there, are, that we are part of that also, we are part of them also, and it's, its it, again, I, I saw something on Twitter, again, where, where somebody said, you know, I was an abused child, and watching the Muppet Show is the only place I felt safe, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I had no idea, you know. So uh, that was that was a, a surprise. Even though I got on there to really publicize Muppet Guys talking, I'm now, you know, really gotten in there and really ha- enjoy talking
0: to people. And, and so, so again, getting to the the essence of creativity, I think, you know, you you had this environment where, from the top down, the leader was was so playful and smart and enjoyable to work with and open to ideas from from his team he also seemed to pick a quality team like people that's the key thing he picked the people i mean the people in muppetguystalking.com
1: uh, i'm sorry muppetguystalking muppetguystalking.com i'll just do a plug here that's the only place you can get it you can't get it at netflix you can't get it at hbo amazon because we wanted to we didn't want a company in the way we wanted to have a personal relationship so we have our own site muppetguystalking.com you go there and you can buy uh buy it for $498. No, only kidding, 10 bucks, 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> it's only 10 bucks and but it's but it's uh it, you know it, it's it's uh, such a uh important thing for us to have this. Uh okay, in any case, you were just saying something. I got off. Well, the it was just topic. about
0: just about the creativity and also there, there's another thing I noticed is that Jim Henson showed you. So, oh, you you. Before I talk with that, I'll, I'll I'll let you finish what you were saying. Um, the team, the quality of the team. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: Jim picked all of us. If you look at Muppet Guys talking, there's four of us there, and the newest member of the group is Bill Bill Beretta, Bar- uh, who's brilliant, and he's been with us only 26 years. So you know we're we're we've been we've done so many hundreds of shows, and. Uh, we we still ha- have Jim's spirit because Jim picked us because he saw something in all of us that somehow reverber- reverberated inside him that he felt we were not fully grown. None of us none of us were this were the same as we are now. I mean, I was I was more of an uptight guy. It was Jim who changed all of us by just leading by example by being the human being he was. So but but picking everybody is a key thing here, absolutely.
0: And then, you know, I felt there was another thing you guys expressed and I'm not I don't feel like I'm giving away the movie there was so much in there about creativity, but it always seemed like he was really good at showing how to overcommit to the role. So for instance, when you described the first scene in the uh, Muppet movie how, you know, uh, where Kermit the Frog's singing his his song, how how Jim was underwater for like ten hours in a tank to to pull off that scene.
1: Yeah, probably not ten hours. He was in the underwater about uh, four hours in that scene, then he and had lunch, and then probably went back in for another four hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so he took a break. Yeah, as you know, in the documentary, uh, there's some terrific drawings which really show how it was. Yeah. Uh, but the amazing thing with Jim
0: was, as he said. If it was easy, everybody could do it. Right, right. It's the overcommitting. If you had a com- uh, if you had a competitor who was a, a competitor up to that point, and then they weren't willing to to commit to get the role done right, they were no longer a competitor. You know, I, I don't quite see it as over-committing because over-committing seems like the mistake. It's just flat out committing. Yeah,
1: you know, okay. just flat out committing, as I see it. And you know, there were no limitations. Uh, the writers are always told to write. Whatever they wanted, and don't think of their puppets. Just write whatever you want.
0: Right. I mean, so when they wrote, um, you guys running up the wall with the dogs chasing, yeah. and then you guys had to then figure Jim, it out. Jim had to do it. And also,
1: you know, what's not in the documentary I can talk about because uh, there's so much not in the documentary, <laughs> and actually there's a lot of it in this extra footage we have. Um, and um, but in Muppet, uh, the Muppet Caper that Jim directed in London. You know, uh, there was a an old, people don't know this name, but Esther Williams was a a, a very famous movie star who always sure. uh, had these aquacades in the movies. So, the, an aquacade for Piggy was written. Now, how do you do that with a puppet? You know, but a, but he just made it happen. So, in at EMI Studios in the dead of winter, uh, there was a large swimming pool, and um, I was underwater with Piggy for about a week uh, and uh, I'd be working underwater with a underwater monitor, underwater speakers. Uh, I'd have a, I had a, uh, I had bricks with loops on them. i put my feet under so I wouldn't float to the top. There'd be a, a scuba guy next to me with a, an air hose. I breathe in the air holes. When I hear, okay, ready, I spit out the air holes. I do the take and the guy would bring the stuff back to me. That's the stuff that Jim did. Nothing
0: is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And then and then I feel from Sesame Street obviously the powers that be saw how popular this I mean I mean well well just let me take a step back. What do you think separate separates Muppets from puppets? <laughs> well, it's weird because it, 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 Muppets have
1: has become the name has become like Kleenex, you know? You don't call Kleenex tissues, you call right. them Kleenex, and tis, all tissues are Kleenex now. Well, all puppets are Muppets now, which is not the case. You know, before Jim, puppets were pretty much standard. It was all these, each had their own particular personality. There was the roller skating bear, there was a the breakaway skeleton, there was the opera singer, the funny opera singer, there, there was the king and the queen and the dragon. You know, that was pretty much what puppetry was, except for certain people, certainly in European countries, uh, uh, Hugo and Inez, for instance, one, do brilliant work that's not like that. But mostly, that's what it was. And Jim just, because he didn't know puppets at all, because when he was uh, – In his late teens, he wanted to learn television. He didn't care about puppets. He wanted to learn television. And there was an audition uh, at the station for that five-minute show, and he got the job. Um, He didn't know anything about puppets. So what he did is he started making things that felt right to him. And for the first time, these characters were soft. And for the first time, these characters, you could take eyes off and switch them and put different noses on. For the first time there's a uh, there's no proscenium like bert Tilstrom uh, bert uh, with the uh, and he took away the proscenium and he made the television set the proscenium and for the first time what do you mean proscenium well you know when you when you see a proscenium on stage or a puppet show you know no is that the... that's that's a uh, essentially it's if if you have a box okay. and the puppets kind of work in the box i see or on stage the actors work on that stage you know well that's usually what people the tv shot they shot the puppets and the stage but jim took away the stage and so the stage actually was the television screen
0: i have to say airbnb has changed my life i just love staying in airbnbs like in about a month I'm going to Coco Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm gonna watch some rocket launches. I'm gonna, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, at I, first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So- you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ziprecruiter.com/james. Just try and see. You'll you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it, and I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job. I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast, and the most interesting. Jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. (laughs) Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So it's interesting. So it seems like a kind of technique here is that, you know, the basics of an idea... But then it's almost like starting from basic principles of of storytelling or whatever, rebuild in your own view well, what that concept is. Yeah, I've written this. I've said this many times,
1: but I, I live by it now. Um, that um, in Orson Welles. Jim and I had dinner with Orson Welles when he was doing our show, and he, he and he, you he, being inspired by Touch of Evil. Oh, I was indeed, absolutely brilliant film. And there's some Orson's one of my favorite directors. He is a favorite director. He's he's been. He's such an iconoclast, or was such an iconoclast. He was amazing. But, you know, he said many things in that dinner. The one thing that uh, relates to what you're talking about with Jim and what I live by is, uh, uh, he said, um, most people create out of experience. He says, he said, I create out of innocence. Hmm. And that's powerful. And so Jim created out of innocence. He had no experience in this. And so out of innocence came originality. And that's what happened. And also, nobody had ever done a close-up on the puppet all the time, and so that close-up demanded lip-sync properly, and Jim did that. So Jim really kind of exploded puppetry completely without even knowing it because he didn't know a thing about it.
0: What's another example of, like, creating out of innocence? Well, I'm going to be self-serving, but
1: uh, the off-Broadway show we did here with Derek DelGaudio, who's uh, who's doing eight shows a night, we we created out of innocence. We didn't have a game plan. We just let our the honest impulse carry us to the next honest impulse. That's how I work.
0: I I guess I haven't seen the show, so I don't know. Um, you'll see it. Okay. I feel. Do you feel like um, you'll want me back? Just saying, Frank. What the hell was that? <laughs> All right, I look forward to that. Um, I feel like Yoda to some extent was created out of innocence, because I don't think George Lucas had a solid conception of what. Yoda was when he first conceived of of him. I don't know because I I don't know if it's Larry.
1: It's Larry and George who wrote that. And I don't know if it's Larry mostly or George mostly. And uh, but I think anybody who sees Yoda can can say that he he's certainly related to uh, to uh, Sensei uh, in Zen, obviously, mm. you know, and so uh, I imagine that's where they got it from. So it's not completely innocent, but you know, I, I, purity and innocence in this world is rare, and that's I think why the Muppets have really—they're very true and pure and honest and innocent. And and, I, and this this movie that we did, documentary, as you can tell, we're just sitting and talking. We nothing's planned. We just are ourselves and authentic. And I think in this world, especially now, I think people really are thirsty and hungry for
0: authenticity. How do you think? How do you think? Like like people who are creative listening to this—they grow up like. Can oh. I say
1: something? Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about that for a second.
1: People who are creative. Now, that's limiting to a human being. Mm-hmm. Who is not creative? I mean, a teacher's creative. A plumber's creative. He has a problem. He's got to fix it out. He doesn't know how to fix it. He's, he's got a toolbox of knowledge. He has to create something to fix it that has not been done before. Uh, lawyers. I, I think it's maligning people who, anybody, by saying only the, there are certain people only creative. I think. Everybody's creative to some degree.
0: So, 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 okay, I agree. But let's let's go let's go with that. How would anybody cultivate more of that feeling of innocence when confronted with a problem? Well, I don't think I
1: think a misunderstanding here. I think it's I don't think the innocence helps the problem. I think the knowledge, the big toolbox you have uh, uh, of thirty years of working helps solve the problem. I think innocence really creates. Something original, it's not, is what I think. There's kind of two different things to me. Um, I, you know, I've been blessed to work in a situation where, where uh, with Jim and the guys, where there's there's very hardly any negativity. It's all all support of each other. And again, we're not little Christmas elves. We totally love to fuck each other over, you know, uh, and it's fun but we're always supportive, always loving. And that's the atmosphere I grew in with Jim. And so naturally I had more of an opportunity to have that innocence. And whatever innocence I had in me was allowed to grow. If I had worked with somebody who was a screamer or if I was in the police department working in the vice squad, I think that innocence would not have grown. So it's not easy for everybody to have. It's trying to find that germ of of who you are inside, before the world
0: glommed onto you. Hmm. And, and again, how do you think, let's say you weren't in that environment, but you wanted to foster that in yourself now, you're listening to this and you're thinking, boy, I wish I could be a little bit more like that. It's hard because you're also
1: dealing with the realities. And this is all compl- complex, because if somebody's working as a uh, 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 in a border crossing for customs, and here's this, and he's saying, boy, I, I really, I really want to do that. And yet he's got two kids and a mortgage. How can he do that? He can eventually somehow long-term, but it's not easy. You know, I've, I've had it very, I've been very fortunate, but people have a lot of trouble these days in this world uh, struggling. And so on the one hand, I do believe you can do it. But on the other hand, when you have responsibilities, especially kids, it's it's much more difficult much more difficult but i think still there are some people who have put away that which they love in order to make money and living i think maybe trying to go back to that what they loved some people are very fortunate they love what they do those are the lucky ones but there's many who haven't and maybe going back to that and see the germ of that would be like maybe a wise doing thing it to on do. the
0: side for a little bit or testing it out yeah i mean again i'm i'm, I'm
1: I don't have empirical knowledge there because I've been very blessed. This is my only job I've ever had in my life. I've been totally blessed. Uh, But I do know that, and my, my, we came to this country with no money whatsoever. My father, my mother, my brother, and I, you know, we were immigrants. And uh, my father brought us, we went across in steerage from London and landed in New York and my father put me and my brother and my mom on the train in grand central and to montana because that's where our um, uh, our financial responsibility guy was he he's he for six months he said i would be he would be financially responsible for us that's how he got the visa and so my father brought us to grand central but he didn't have enough money for himself so he hitchhiked to montana mm-hmm. from new york so i am come from that you know i come from from that stock, that kind of peasant stock, and that stock of working hard uh, and and really, you know, knowing the complexities of trying to make a living in this world and still expressing yourself. My dad wanted to be an architect, but he had to make money, and he became a window trimmer and sign a sign painter. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know how to to do it. I think it's tough as hell. And I think, especially when you're, you know, when you're, when you're comfortable,
0: it's harder. Well, I, I I agree with that because I think then you might lose touch with that that struggle. Like I, ha- this has to be legit to to succeed. And maybe yeah. when you're comfortable, you you cut corners on that thinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny.
0: I sit here and I think to myself. These are all you
1: know, rich man's problems for being creative when most people are just trying to fucking eat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but a lot of creativity comes from that (laughs) Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
1: It comes from pain, it comes from struggle. I believe struggle is the most important thing. I think
0: without struggle, you don't feel satisfied once you're success. And do you think, I mean, let's, instead of calling it um, innocence, let's call it authenticity. Do you think- Okay, fair enough. Do you think, do you think, like you, you mentioned earlier, you couldn't, you wouldn't do the voices because The implication was it wouldn't feel authentic to you for those characters. I'm just showing off. Right. So that's not, that wouldn't be authentic for those characters. Mm -mm. So, so, so maybe is there a way, like, how do you sense when you're doing a creative project now? Hmm, that doesn't quite feel authentic to me. Like, is it something in the body? Is it something you can articulate after 35 years of, 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 of work? Where can you get back to that point where you were learning authenticity? I don't know. But I
1: I I not unlike Steve, Steve Martin he does this is he's, he's authentic and pure. He's strong on the outside to protect that. I, I I have to be strong on the outside to protect that innocence or that purity. And I guess I'm not sure if I can answer it. It's more visceral than intellectual. I don't know if I can answer like that. you feel it in your body. Yeah, and I can. You know, the more the more I'm honest with myself, that's another brick in the wall of honesty. And they keep on going. And then the more bricks you put, the wall gets higher, and you understand and feel the honesty. But if all of a sudden you put one of those bricks and you're dishonest, oh, wait a second, then I've lost my way. You
0: know? Well, okay, let's take an example. So so I feel like in Sesame Street, you know, you created these brilliant characters and jim henson was there and you're you're all working together the muppets obviously the muppet show and the muppet movies and fraggle rock you guys it just looked like you guys were having a blast it was like sketch shows with puppets and the rage of the nation like it was just it seemed like that was the the peak time for for you guys enjoying each other when you had to act the role of yoda did that feel a little less authentic to you no, offend, uh, 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 in, because because you're acting instead of the more improv-like aspects. No, by no means. Uh, and, and I'll I'll go to Yoda in a second. But but to make something clear
1: regarding improv and having fun, that's we can only do that when we're deadly serious and know our, know our stuff. Mm. You know, when we say improv, we mean with discipline, with rigor, knowing what the character wants. Right. Each character sure. has boundaries. We and 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 the techniques, and we have to have all those techniques and all the physical aspects and all the intents of the scripts and all the cues and all the all the move everything. We have to have that in such a way that you don't think about it. It's instinct. Then you can improv. Mm. Then you then you earn the right to improv.
0: That's like Kurt Vonnegut's quote: "Like don't do experimental fiction before you know the laws of grammar." Sure. Like my
1: father used to say: "Draw a straight line and a circle before you can start painting." You know. Mm. Yeah. And I think uh, in in what we do in, in the performance of the Muppets when we, when I did it, it, it was, people don't understand. It took me about 10 years to learn how to do Muppets. Other people took about five, seven years or so. It's not immediate. It takes a long, long time to get it in your head. Not in your head, but in your in your gut where you don't even think about it. Yeah. Because we're always looking at monitors. The monitors are reversed, so if you move left, it looks like we're moving right. All those, that's gotta be, that takes a, lo- takes a long time. It takes a long time for, for a lot of stuff. So, but we have a great time. The harder we work, the more fun we have and uh, it's great. But Yoda is, is, is a, was a great opportunity because I had an opportunity to express another part of myself. Where performing, one, one's main job is to connect with the audience and to elicit some sort of reaction, usually laughter, with an acting. Job actor, you don't think about the audience at all, at all. You're not eliciting, trying to get anything from the audience. You don't care. What you're doing is you're doing you're doing what honest impulse, to honest impulse says in the script. So that's what I did with Yoda, and it was wonderful because I have an opportunity to express that part of myself that's uh, that has tremendous gravitas and and internal power that all oh. of us have. So that was a rare opportunity, so it's wonderful, yeah.
0: And uh, I read somewhere that you, you know, Yoda's known for his very distinctive uh, speech pattern, the way he reverses sentences, and I read somewhere that you came up with that. No. Is that true? No, I did not. Uh,
1: Larry and and George wrote that, but they didn't write it all the time. They were in and out of it, and so I asked George, I, I thought it was really valuable, and I said, I asked George, can I just do it all the time? He said, sure. So I didn't do it, I didn't think of it
0: though. But you asking him to do it all the time and him saying, sure, reminds me of the kind of interaction you might have had with Jim Henson, like proposing ideas and him saying, okay, let's try that. Yeah, George and Jim are very similar, very quiet, very smart, very strong
1: people, you know? I like people who don't say much. People who say a lot and use their power uh, are bogus to me. Mm. People who are quiet and just do the damn job and uh, and listen to people, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for those people. And that was George, that was Jim. That's Ryan, that's Ryan as the director of, uh, of Jedi. Ryan is like that too..
0: Mm. Um, how did you and your wife meet? You guys seem to work closely together. Yeah.
1: Uh, we met it was a setup. went We went, uh, we, uh, went to a, a dinner party and we were too stupid to realize it was a setup. And then we, uh, but I'm 20 years older than her, so there was never a, a thought in my mind or her mind we'd get together, we're just friends. You know, there's no way, I mean, why would she want somebody 20 years older for God's sake? Uh, and then it kind of just happened. The, the mind doesn't control that, the heart does.
0: How long have you been married?
1: Only about uh, eight years. I was married previously for about 23 years. I have four, four great kids, adult children. Uh, so, I, but I got very, very lucky. Uh, and my my first wife was a wonderful person, uh, loves vi- Victoria, so it worked, and vice versa, so it works out great. But well, but she's uh, yeah, she's an amazing person. She's as I said, she'd be right here, except that she's right now doing a seminar for four days. Of people coming from around, around the world to learn from her.
0: What do you think the secret is with the twenty year age difference? Like, what is there, any, or is there any secret? Well. Okay, do
1: I say this in the moment, but I think I either say it in a moment guys talking or I say it in extra footage that we have to people. You didn't say it in a moment guys talking, I can tell you that. Okay, well, we had uh, this, I, I, I believe this. Uh, we had Roy Rogers and Dale Evans on the show. Uh, it was one of the many, many guests. And we were in the office and Dale and Roy were there and I said, Dale, I, you guys have been married for so long, what's the secret? And uh Dale said, well, we both believe in God and we're both religious and we believe that's a very important part of our lives and that binds us together. It's kind of paraphrasing. And then I asked Roy, I said, Roy, what, what do you think? And he, he gave the best answer to me of any way to be married. He said, give 90, take 10. Huh.
0: I like and, that. And I think, I think the more you give, the more you get. But then if you're giving 90 and taking 10, is the other side not giving enough? Oh, no. We both do that because then it then then it would be uh, a bastardization of that.
1: And then then if one's only giving and the other person's taking that's not a relationship. Right. Right. That's yeah. what I was wondering. Yeah. No, it's it, it's also, you know, you get to, you get a fork in the road, you get upset, you get a fork in the road and and the uh, the idea is one way is anger and the other way is acceptance. And you can choose. Sometimes, unfortunately, I choose anger without knowing it because I'm flawed like everybody else.
0: But mostly I try and choose acceptance of it. So, you know, while I was watching um, Muppet Guys Talking, um, Steve, who's sitting over there, my podcast producer, was also watching it. And we both noticed something at the exact same time because we exchanged emails at the exact same moment over the exact same scene that uh, struck us, which is when Fran Brill asked to take a coffee break mm. and we see this whole behind the scenes of the behind the scenes of the show about the muppets so i thought that was interesting that you kept that i mean we see the caravan, everyone's taking a coffee it's like a nice break in the middle of this documentary well, you know uh whenever i shoot a movie like i shot little shop of horrors when i
1: shot little shop of horrors that Great de- movie thank you that demanded the form to be different it the 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 material tells one how to about the form of the shooting. And so that happens in Little Shop, that happens in other movies, and it happened here because the Muppets are uh, rambunctious, they're, they're flawed, uh, there's, uh, uh, there's tremendous energy. Uh, and if I shot that with just sticks, you know, tripod, or if I shot that beautifully and I had beautiful lighting and I had a tracking shot, that would not reflect the spirit of the Muppets. So I, wa- I felt that spirit of Muppets was reflected only in dirty shooting, which to me is showing the camera operators, showing, uh, showing uh, people having drinks, walking in and out of frame, and that meant also just keep rolling while you're having coffee. And that's who we are. We're, there's nothing phony. It's just, and so that I just because the form, the, 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 the
0: content to me dictates the form, and that's the only form I felt it could take. Content dictates the form. Mm-hmm. To me, it does. Uh, so I, I'm just trying to uh, unpack that for a second. Well, for instance, uh, there's a sh- I
1: remember *Downton Abbey*. There's a shot that annoyed the hell out of me <laughs> as a director. You know, *Downton Abbey*, which I loved, but there was a shot that they were getting outside, going outside, and getting into a car with a chauffeur, and nobody else got it. But I'm so annoyed. But they had a, a steady cam, uh, which people often overuse these days, but a steady cam. And so the steady cam came and it just glided past the people and then around the car and glided back in the other side of the car. Now, that does not reflect the content. They didn't have steady cams in, in the in 1900s. It just pulled me out of this route completely.
0: Really, that's interesting. You, that's you me. In the sense that, like, like, so I watched Downtown Abbey. I'm, I'm trying to picture the scene, but I can't. But um, I would just think, okay, they're just showing us the full view of these people getting into a car.
1: Yeah, and my reaction, it came maybe because I've directed so many movies, my reaction is it wasn't true to the spirit of Downtown Abbey, uh, having, uh, having that one shot. By the way, I'm not criticizing. I I, I binge watched Down to is wonderful, but that one shot uh, didn't reflect to me the 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 spirit of that place. It, 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 the spirit of that place was much more formal and much more uh, um, uh, straight. It called for like shots that were not beautiful and and elegant. It, it, it called for mm-hmm. shots that reflected that particular society at that particular time. And that bothered me, you know. But that, that's an example that I, maybe I'm just sensitive to only.
0: No, no, that's very interesting. I mean, I, I feel that way about podcasting, actually, that it's not TV, it's not radio, that when mistakes happen, keep them in. Like yeah. It's important for, this is like the Wild West of- People love mistakes. Yeah, people love mistakes. Yeah, I mean, you look at like stand-up comedy, for instance, sometimes the funniest things are the riffs that were not planned at all. So. Absolutely. When I'm a director, I, I'm directing all these movies. I mean, I've had the joy of working with, you know, Eddie
1: Murphy and Steve Martin and, and God, Bill Murray and, and um, Bob De Niro and everybody. I just, I, I, I pray for accidents. I pray for things to go wrong because it's all of a sudden you're alive.
0: Yes, it's, that's it's alive, like, you know? So, so you, I mean, you've directed so many people, so many fascinating and great actors, comic actors, you know, straight actors, and if you separate that out from comic. And as the director, you're the leader of the pack when you're in a, a scene. Right. What's been kind of the most intense scene or, the, or that you've had to really use all of your skills and experience to really pull this together? Boy, it's hard because every movie has its own... There's the
1: comedic... Uh, aspect of it, and there's the dramatic aspect of it. I can't. I, I, I don't want to uh, run away from the question, but I can't really uh, pinpoint one. They're, they're uh Most scenes are just hard anyway to make them come alive. Because mm. uh, if it's not right, I'll just say, "Okay, guys, let's stop. It's not working. Come on, let's let's go. Ahead. Let's go talk about. It. Have a table read. Everybody, take a break. It's not working. I just won't shoot it. Mm. Uh, that's when when it's really that bad. Then I stop. As a matter of fact, I, I, if something's written and it doesn't work, I, I did this with Bob De Niro and and, um, and um, oh, I forgot her. She's a wonderful, back actress. I, I'm so embarrassed. I forgot her name. She's wonderful. Um, oh, she played Tina Turner in the movie. Come on, help me out. She's brilliant. Oh,
0: uh,
1: Angela bassett Oh yeah, Angela. Angela's so wonderful. But we both, we all realized what's on paper thought was great. It didn't work. So I said, "Okay, guys, to the first AD, you guys go away for about an hour or two. Okay, we're going to play around here." And so we improvised the thing, and we re- rewrote it that way. Okay, uh, it's just to me, uh, what's more important is the life on the floor, not the words on the page. You know, I'm not sure how I got there. I forgot totally. I went off on a tangent, didn't I?
0: No, no, no. That that answers it. And do you feel you got that experience from you know studying Jim Henson in action? No. I, I don't it's not a it's not intellectual anyway I
1: don't I didn't study I just uh, I, I think I from all the years I've worked with with Jim and all the movies I've done uh it just I, I look for that truthful moment and if it's not truthful I just stop and just mm. don't shoot it and it's again it's that visceral feeling yeah uh, it's it's you know you keep putting that brick in that wall the, the higher the wall goes the stronger you have a sense of who you
0: are. Well, you know, Frank Oz, uh, again, I can't believe I'm sitting across from you out of the 400 or so or however many guests I've had for this podcast. Like, again, I, I, I'm dumbstruck Like oh, how so much nice. I have heard your voice and how much it has meant to me over the decades like in so many ways, and I didn't even realize I didn't even connect all the dots until I was preparing for this Thank you. podcast. So it's amazing. And again, to your credit, that's how real these characters were for me. Like Yoda and and Bert and Miss Pig. These are real important people to me. Well, that's you know that's why uh, I wanted to do this
1: documentary with Victoria. Also, is because besides the fact that we wanted to show people, you know, how we could really work in a work atmosphere uh, and be creative and have a great time also because I want to show these guys who are so professional and work so hard and they're the ones that make everything look easy they're the ones who create Pepe or they're the ones who prayed on or they do do Grover or, or Bunsen honeydew or they do you know uh, all these uh, Floyd and those characters uh, you know that was the fun of making the documentary those characters are created by people in such a way that I didn't even know I've, I've, I learned something from Dave Goles, from other people in that, in that movie that I never knew about. It. Because we were all we've all been interviewed individually for years, but never once were we all together ever talking about it.
0: And what I really also like the idea of taking out the middleman, like not going through the whole kind of studio system and finding a place to sell the movie to and blah, 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 which is such so much pain in that process. It's also another reason, besides being personal.
1: Uh, we want personally to go to our, our our site is because it continues the spirit of the Muppets. If if we did if if we were these rambunctious Muppets and I shot it rambunctiously and then went to a big fucking company, it wouldn't feel the spirit wouldn't feel right. So we continued that spirit and became uh, and, and and decided to become scrappy instead. Which I, I I I love that rebellious quality and that carries it all the way through. You know, that's why we have MuppetGuysTalking.com So uh, people can be direct to us as opposed to through another company. And by the way, I love Netflix and everything, but in this instance I just felt and Victoria felt it was much truer more, more true. It had we built our own little brick wall,
0: we wanted to stay with it. So Muppet Guys Talking, great move it was it was Brilliant for me to watch and see, you know how you guys fostered such creativity over decades and so many different stories and characters and and everything you, you you've done and created with that Muppet Guys talking. Get it at MuppetGuysTalking.com. I highly recommend it. And it is, again Frank Frank Oz. Well, such a pleasure to to have you. Thank you, at the you podcast. so much, Rhett.
1: Uh, that was fun. Thank that you. Was good. Those was good, good questions and everything.
0: Oh, good. You know, one thing I always say is that I'm sitting
1: here and I got the spotlight on me, but the truth is uh, I represent Jim and other people who's passed away, Jerry, uh, Jerry Jewell and Don Saline and Richard Hunt and all the other performers and the workshop people who car- make the characters. They should be sitting around me with me right here. But I'm the guy who gets the credit, and so I just happen to be in the
0: spotlight. But it takes a lot of people. One does not create in a vacuum. You know? Well, you get that sense in the movie. And Mappa guys uh, talking, you get that sense very much from all the other characters. Everybody had their say, and and it's amazing how much input. You you realize how much input the whole team had on on this massive creative process. Yeah, and that all came from Jim, all from Jim, a unique individual.